Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 9 in our time together. A series that we've begun called The Right Side Up Gospel for an Upside Down Church. Uh, I want you to uh, imagine with me that you receive a phone call, or you, you received a phone call last evening. It was from a church that you attended for several years, but since then you've moved away and you are here now. And they've asked you to actually come back as a church consultant, give, give some advice. They're without a pastor, the elders have asked you to come and do some interviews and hear them out. And so you agree, you come from a great church so now, so you can certainly go and do that, right? So you get back there and you start interviewing people and, and just watching for several weeks. You go on Sundays and you go to small groups during the week and you just kind of see what's happening in that church. And you find out several things. You find out um, there are a group of small groups there that will live and die with John Piper and others with John MacArthur and others with James McDonald, all people they can hear kind of on the radio. And they, they just, they kind of cluster around those individuals. And nothing wrong with having a favorite speaker but it seems to you that it goes beyond that a bit. And if you don't like my guy, there's a problem with you and certainly your guy. Right? You, you just, you're just observing. You also notice that, you know, when they talk about small group ministry and intergenerational, these aren't intergenerational. These are, these are very homogeneous. In other words, you go to one group and it seems like they're all at the same wealth level or, or, or at the same educational level. They, they all kind of gravitate together. And if you're not part of that group, you're not really part of them. Well, that, you know, that's, that's troubling you. you. You think the body of Christ is more than that. But you're not saying much. You're a consultant and you're just there to observe. You also notice that when they do socialize, again, it's very, it's with only a select number of people. You got to kind of be in the in-group to be with them. That's what you're finding. Oh, they, they have certain words that are buzzwords for them. They love the word Christian liberty. I mean, it's everywhere. But you're a little bit concerned because they seem to kind of flaunt it. They seem kind of insensitive to people that see things differently. And they're so big on liberty that they even take areas like sex and they're much more open than anybody I know of would be comfortable with. And they just kind of throw the whole thing under liberty and grace. And if you don't like their view, you're a legalist. You, you're getting more concerned. I mean, something's happened in this church. Um, you find that there's a variety of lawsuits going on amongst fellow believers within the church itself over trivial things. And 
And on major issues, major doctrinal issues, they're just, they're way off. On, on their understanding of things like the Trinity and all, you're going like, what is going on? So after several weeks, you analyze all that stuff. You're in the small groups. You're in the worship service. You're interviewing people. You're doing all that stuff. And the elders call you back, and they say, we want you to speak to the church. Where do you start? Yeah. What, what are the first words out of your mouth? And you think, I am going to unload on this bunch. Don't you kind of feel that way? You, you know, and all, all kinds of stuff coming to your mind. I mean, wouldn't you, I don't know about you, but I'd have that tendency. I have this, my long list, and I'm going to just go right after it. So you try to get some perspective. So you start flipping through your scriptures, and you come to 1 Corinthians. And you find Paul... Oh boy, did Paul ever have his list <laughs> that he's going to have to work through with this group. And he will. He will work through the list. But you find it to be really interesting to see where he begins. And that's where I want to focus today. Where does Paul begin? But just a little bit of background, and I won't do too much of this, especially if you're here in Sunday school. But I just want to give you a little bit of background about what Paul is kind of up against here, right? Just to set the mood. Um, what we know is Paul founded the church at Corinth in around 51, 52 A.D. He was there for about a year and a half. You read about that all in Acts chapter 18. And, 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 and again, we, we saw the, if you were here in Sunday school, you saw the video on it, so I, I'm going to kind of zip through this rather quickly. But he, he comes into Corinth, and, and, and when he gets there, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and they strike up this incredible friendship, and they will stay with him throughout his ministry. Powerful stuff. And for a while, Paul is kind of working his trade until some funding actually comes down through Timothy. But for now, he's working his trade. And Paul does what he normally does. Paul, when he goes to a city, he normally starts in the synagogue, and sees, he wants to see how it goes. That's exactly what he does. He goes to the synagogue, and he's preaching along, and people are getting saved, and things are really moving, and he's able to give more time to it. And all of a sudden, the Jews become, the religious Jews who are in leadership become very, very upset with Paul because they're seeing Jews coming to faith, following this Christ person, Gentiles hearing about, the whole thing is troubling to them. So they start blaspheming the name of Christ, the text tells us. Saying all kinds of evil things about Jesus. One of the guys he meets there owns a big house right next to the synagogue. And the guy says, would you start meeting here, Paul? And Paul tells the Jews, I've given you the opportunity. I'm going to be right over there. And he starts preaching away in this home. And the Bible tells us all kinds of people are coming to faith in Christ. Guess what, folks? This is... You're talking about God's irony. The lead guy in the synagogue by the name of Crispus, <laughs> he becomes a believer. So he's leading against Paul, and before you know it, he's over here in this house too. And, and they're upset, and another guy comes on the scene and takes us over whose name is Sosthenes. Now, I'm throwing these names at you for a reason. Sosthenes takes over. And 
the tension is building and God is working and people are coming faith to, to, in Christ, not just Jews but Gentiles, and things are growing. The Jews are getting up. Oh, in the midst of all that, God in his grace meets with Paul and in a vision he tells Paul, Paul, don't lose heart. It, you're feeling that pressure. But I have many people in this city. I'm going to use you, Paul, to do a great work. Stay at it. A new governor comes to the region of Achaia, where Corinth is the capital. His name is Gallio. And when he comes, the Jews that are against Paul think this is our opportunity. Let's bring the case before him. He's a new guy. He doesn't know what's going on. And we'll tell him Paul's causing division within the Jews, within the Jewish community. And that's going to have a rippling effect. And he doesn't want that as the new guy in town. They think they got it all worked out. So they bring Paul before him and they're ready to go. He hears the story and he says, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Get out of here. And as he does, he allows his guys to beat up on the very Jews that brought Paul there. And they beat up on the lead guy of the temple, I'm sorry, of the synagogue, whose name is Sosthenes. Paul stays there a little bit longer and then moves on to Ephesus. So that's kind of the founding of the church. Paul's going to finish up. I think I got the problem with this. You can't see this real well, but that's a, that's a map, believe it or not, Okay. But, but Paul's going to finish up in Corinth. He's going to end up going back to Antioch. He's going to come back for his third missionary journey. Corinth was on his second missionary journey. And on his third missionary journey, he's going to spend three years ministering in Ephesus. And it's from Ephesus that he's going to have continued ministry with, with those in Corinth. Okay? All right. So, Paul, let me get, get off of there. Paul comes to Ephesus. Okay, I'm just trying to give you the, the, the feedback here. We, God in his sovereignty has only given us some of the letters that Paul has written. He hasn't, he hasn't given us every letter that Paul has written. And even with the Corinthians, there's what is called a lost letter. When Paul initially gets back to Ephesus, he sends a quick letter over to the Corinthians, and it seems like he's talking about issues related to, you know, this whole issue of sexuality. I know it's a big issue with you guys, but you've got to be pure in this area. He talks, talks about some other things there and writes to them. Well, Paul's still in Ephesus, and then all of a sudden, he's got a letter coming back from the Corinthians for clarification, not only on that, but on some other things they were wondering about, and that's good. But he also has word coming back that the Corinthians have drifted away into some pretty perverted, inappropriate things. And so, Paul writes this letter. And, and, and you can really break the letter down into kind of two divisions. Because on the one hand, Paul is going to be responding to the Corinthians. They're going to be saying, hey, Paul, we sent you this letter. We have questions about blank, 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 and blank. Okay? And so Paul will often start a section saying, now concerning the things about which you wrote me. And he'll, he'll talk about it. And sometimes it's a very sensitive issue. But he's also heard things from Chloe's family that are saying, there's issues here in Corinth that are really bad. So Paul goes back and forth 
can you see on the screen? I'm pointing back there. You're up there, sorry, because I got one back there too. So whatever. There we go. Okay. So, so Paul goes back and forth between responding to oral reports that he's heard and responding to a letter from them all through the book. He's going to deal in the first couple chapters here. We'll be looking at this again next week. All issues related to disunity in that church. Holy mackerel, it's crazy. How's he going to speak to that? He's got to speak to it. It's worse than the example I gave you. And then purity. You got a guy who's with his stepmother. And the church seems to be okay with it. And then on the flip side, you got all kinds of legal lawsuits going on between members in the church. And, and you got boys will be boys, you know, which is a terrible thing to say because it becomes nothing but an excuse, which means it's okay to go down and have sex with a local temple prostitute because boys will be boys. Just live with it. And the Corinthian church is saying, that's okay, isn't it, Paul? I mean, like, how do you write to all that stuff? Like, where do you begin? Do you burn the place down? Like, what do you do? All kinds of questions on marriage and singleness. Because on the other hand, you've got people at the Corinthian church that are saying, hey, I don't even think you should be having sexual relationship with your mate. On the one hand, you've got people sleeping with local temple prostitutes. And on the other hand, you've got people that aren't even willing to sleep with their own mates. What a mess! Liberty and license. Oh my goodness. All kinds of stuff going on with the temple and how far you can go in the temple worship and what you can't do with the local Greek temples. And oh, and, and, and they've gone o- overboard the wrong way on virtually everything. And then when it comes to their worship service, oh man, it's not gone well. What happens publicly and, 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 and under the guise of freedom with some things that some of the ladies are doing. And, and then when they do the Lord's Supper, that whole thing is a catastrophe. I mean, just one thing after. And then spiritual gifts. Gifts are a wonderful thing. But not when you use them for yourself. And then the resurrection, they're off on. Which impacts their financial missionary giving. Paul is going to spend the bulk of his letter... Dealing with one problem after another problem after another problem after another problem. It's worse than you have with, as, as a consultant. So the question is, where does he begin? Does he come out of the gate yelling and screaming at them? Telling them he's shutting down the church? No? No? He does something that perhaps is a bit unexpected. But I would argue, folks, that it gives all of us hope and perspective. So I want to just kind of walk through what Paul does here. Notice there's just basically two movements in this, in this opening section. Not, not unusual for Paul to do some of these things. Um, I'm, I'm going to camp out. Well, I'll just work through it here. And, and, and it, here's the good part. It's only nine verses. It's not going to take me. I mean, how long can it take me to go through nine verses? 
Well, who knows? But no, 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 no. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. All right. So just watch where he starts, because I want to argue this. It's where we should start as we look at our own life and as we minister to others. Okay? So look at what he does. Paul begins by praying that the church, which God has graciously placed in positional union with Christ, will continue to experience God's gracious enablement in Christ. I mean, he's just heard all these problems, and look at how the book starts. I'm reading from the ESV. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother, you notice the guy's name? Sosthenes. Remember me talking about him at all? Wait, Finkbeiner. Wasn't he the guy in Acts 18 that was leading the charge in the synagogue against Paul and was beaten before Gallio? Yup. And we just kind of left it there? Yup. And somewhere between then and when Paul writes the book, he became a believer. And he's with Paul and he has such a close relationship with Paul that Paul writes the letter with him. Yup. Well, that sounds incredible. Yup. Isn't that God? Yeah, you better believe it. You, you better believe. I mean, the guy's just getting out of the gate. And I'm already reading this and going like, man, God is good. Wow. Good stuff. Look what he says about the church. I mean, he could have said a lot of things describing this church. But look at where he starts. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. I don't know. I don't even think you should associate the name God with this bunch anymore. But Paul does. To the church, God's assembled people. God's beacon of light in that degradant place, that degraded place called Corinth, that therein, there's my people. Wow. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Is that not amazing to you? Looks at this bunch, and, and look, there's, there's good people at Corinth, too. They're not, they're not all, but, but, but there's, there's just a lot of perversion and a lot of stretching and a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of stuff going on. But Paul's able to look at that group, and he says, you know, when I think of you, the reason I ultimately have hope is because of who you are in yourself. The answer to that, folks, would be No. Because who you are in Christ. That changes everything. When, you know, when people say, um, you can be everything you want to be. Just let that which is inside of you come out. Oh my goodness, I'm going like, ah, me, I'm in. So, you know, just be who you are. And it's like, Ugh. No, the scripture constantly calls us to be who we are in Christ. And so when he looks at them, he says, you have been called and named holy ones, set apart to me. 
what? You got somebody in there sleeping with his stepmother? And people are going, hey, you're my holy ones. You're my saints. I've separated you. I've sanctified you. You're, you're this pure group. And I'm going like, Paul, Paul, you should have talked to me before you approached these people. That's not where you start. Yes, it is where you start. Because Paul is an absolute realist. Paul faces life in the raw. He sees it for what it is. He doesn't shortchange anything. He says it the way it is. However, Paul is an optimistic realist. And it's not because of the potential within each of us. It's because of our position in Christ. And that changes everything. So, you have been named his separated holy people. His church representing him in Corinth. Wow. Probably not where I'd start. And the only reason you're there. Here's one of the things that's really fascinating. If you just read through these first nine verses, you will read the name Jesus Christ either explicitly or implicitly ten times. Because our hope is always in him. It's always Christ. And so Paul's able to say, you know what? Because this is who you are in Jesus. This is what he's called you to. This is what his spirit can enable you to begin to realize. This is what I call you. And here is my prayer for you, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, folks? The only hope for this bunch at Corinth is grace. Who they are in Him. And then knowing God's grace to realize what that means in my life. That's it. But can I tell you? The only hope for Doug Finkbeiner is not falling back on where I live or how much I own or my educational standing or any of those things. My only hope is God's grace. And that's your only hope too. And the beauty is I can look out at people, some of which are struggling in their faith. Well, you're a true believer, and you're a true believer because Paul says, this is the position of everybody who has called upon the name of the Lord. People who have bowed the knee to Jesus and said, Jesus, I can't go it alone. I am lost and I'm done. I am hopeless. And I want you to forgive me because of what you did on the cross at Calvary. And be my Lord and Savior. And in one fell swoop, we're, we're brought into the kingdom of God. In one fell swoop, I'm a child of God. And Paul says, all of those people are called holy saints. You know, if, if I got up here today, and the first thing I said to you is, are you a saint? Oh, you're not quite sure how to answer that one, are you? I mean, it sounds kind of cocky to say yes. And if you think about all the saints that are worshipped in certain religions, you go like, probably not. But God calls you a saint. And it's not because of you. It's because of him. 
So where Paul starts is this is who you are. You've come to Jesus. This is how he sees you in his son. And it will be God's grace that will take you the distance. Paul moves to what's called a thanksgiving section in verses 4 to 9. Now, here's what's kind of fascinating to me. You know, uh, Paul writes 13 letters. And and, um, it's always interesting to me to kind of line up what he does in his letters and compare and contrast. I always find that to be fascinating. And so one of the things you can do is you can take all the thanksgivings of Paul that you find in his epistles. Now, he doesn't always have a thanksgiving. There's no thanksgiving for the Galatians, is there? Because they have perverted the gospel of Christ. There's nothing left if you do that. But what you find in his other letters is you find these thanksgiving sections. And in every thanksgiving section, you know what you find? You find something like this. Um, Who can I use? Tim, I'm going to use Tim as an example here. In all of his thanksgiving sections, he'll say, I thank God for Tim because of his faith and his love or something. Everyone, that's what he does. He doesn't do that with the Corinthians. Because he's walking a fine line here, folks. Paul is not going to lie, but he's going to give hope. And if he said, I thank God that you guys have it totally together in the way you trust him and love and da da da. That's not exactly true, Paul. It's probably not the best way to say it, Paul. But he still thanks God. But folks, this this is powerful. Notice what he thanks God for in this passage. Look, look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because, why? Here it is. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In all the other letters, when he does that, he says, because God has worked in your life and you're loving and you're faithful and you're this, that's, and you're working and blah, 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 blah. He's not going to do all that. He's going to be honest. But he's also going to give them hope. And in giving them hope, he gives us hope. At the end of the day, Paul is going to argue, you have everything you need in God. You, you know what? Do, do you ever get discouraged when you look at churches in our day? I'm, not, not, not our church. Maybe a little bit of our church. With the business I'm in, I contact a lot of churches. Pastors will come and talk to me, or students will come and talk to me about their church, and you know, just so I, I hear an awful lot about churches. And I have to tell you, it's enough to make you cynical sometimes. Because people normally don't come to me with the good stories. You know, hey, think about it. Come on, just tell you what God is doing in our church. Normally, they come and say, "Can I talk to you? I don't know what to do." Yeah, sure. You know, so I'm only hearing the, I'm mostly hearing the bad. So I, 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 I get that. However, it can make you a little bit cynical sometimes. And you know what happens with some people? Some people will go to a church like that and they'll walk away and they'll say, "If they aren't living the way they're supposed to be living, I bet Christianity is wrong too." And I'm cashing out. 
Does that happen? Folks, it happens all the time. And what Paul sees here without saying, you guys are doing great. He's going to talk to them about their potential, but their potential is not bound up in them. It's bound up in the grace of God. So, I thank God, Paul says, because he has given you his grace in Jesus. Well, Paul, unpack that. What do you mean by that? I want to know three things he says about it, right? When you look here in verse uh, 5 and, and following. Uh, I'm actually going to start with verse 6. Let, let me read it and then try to unpack it. Okay. So, I give thanks because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also, and the who there is not speaking of Jesus at this point, it's talking about God the Father again, and they ought to have the word also in there. I don't know why the ESV doesn't, but it doesn't, so I'm throwing it in who also will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says three things. And I want to kind of unpack these chronologically. First thing he says is this. When I think of God's grace on your behalf, three things come to me. Number one, the message of the gospel was confirmed among you. Do you see that there in verse 7? I'm sorry, in verse 6? Here's what he means. Paul says, when the gospel came to you in Acts chapter 18, you guys were as far from the gospel as you could possibly imagine. And yet again and again, God through his spirit was saying, the message is true. The message is sure. The message you can live your life by. His spirit was doing that on the inside. You were looking around and you keep finding all these synagogue leaders who are supposed to be against you are coming to faith in Christ. And you're going like, wow, their lives are changing. Other people, you're looking around and you're going, wow, their lives are changing. And, and when this group tries to destroy you and take you before Galileo, God in his grace who works around us, he works in us, he works among us, he works around us, you find God just turns that whole thing on its head. And at every level, Paul says, when I was with you, the message was confirmed. You saw it in the miraculous activity. You saw it in the Spirit's work in your heart. You saw it in transformed lives. You saw it as God, God did all kinds of circumstantial change. Isn't that true of us? One of my great joys being here at the chapel has been hearing testimonies of people coming to faith in Christ. Like, when I go out for lunch with people, I want to hear how they came to know Jesus. And you guys have some great stories. Isn't it true? I, I don't want to embarrass them. Sorry. Ed, I'm going to embarrass you. My bad. But it's okay. We were just, we were talking, it was last week, week or the, last week of the week for recently. And, and again, he just shared how God brought him to faith in Christ. You couldn't pull that off. There's no other explanation but God at work confirming the message. 
And we could start at the front and go all the way through here. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you look back and you say, there's no other way to explain it. It's grace. It's God confirming the message in us, around us, among us, all of that stuff. It's God. Paul says, God has been so good to you. Look at how he's confirmed the message. Look at how he has enabled you with everything you need to grow. Look at what he says here in verse 5. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, popping down to verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he says? You have been saved. And in this life, which is a life of growing and living for him, as we await his coming, in this time period, God has given us everything we need. For the, for the Corinthians in particular, he says, in, in, in the area of speech and knowledge. Now, I have to tell you, that's loaded, what Paul's doing here. He's very smart. Because they had really perverted the whole thing of speech and knowledge. You're going to see this in the next coming weeks. Uh, Tim and I are kind of working through these first four chapters. We'll be dealing with some of this stuff. Um, but, but what you'll find in this whole idea of speech and knowledge is they were, they were taking the gospel and they were kind of smushing it and do a whole bunch of things. The problem was not the gospel. The problem is what they were doing with it. And what Paul is saying is you've got everything you need there, man. Everything. And if you want to talk about gifts, Gifts of the Spirit, which you're going to talk about in chapters 12 to 14. And gifts can be broader than just the gifts of the Spirit. It's used in a variety of ways, even in Corinthians. So gifts are broader. It's God's good things that he gives us so that we can be everything that God wants us to be. And so that our gifts are meant to be used in such a way, I'm investing in your life, you're investing in my life, and I'm investing here, and you're back here, and you're doing, you, you, you see? And, and Paul says, do you know, what he, you know what he would say if he was here right now in the chapel? He would say the chapel has everything they need to become what God wants them to be. Now, not to have what you want, sorry, but to be what God's designed you to be. The problem is never with God. You're here by his design. Do you know that? And he wants you to participate and be involved because that's his gracious, part of his gracious enablement for us to become everything God wants us to be. And he also wants us in that process to make sure we never lose the purity of the gospel and never get cocky. Well, you know, the gospel is really good, but if you really want to help people, you got to be into psychology big time or, or whatever. And I'm not opposed to learning things from psychology. I, I have colleagues at the college that do all that stuff, and I, I appreciate it. As long as it doesn't usurp the gospel. Do you see? That's what's critical. And so Paul says, God has confirmed you by bringing you into relationship with his son. God is giving you everything you need. You've got the gospel. 
You've got gifts that he innate gives different people. So when they're functioning, the body becomes what God's designed it to be. And all of this is supposed to take place as we constantly wait to say, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Do you see? That's a, isn't that a great package? So Paul's point is, you've been graced by God. Look at your conversion. Look at what he's doing. And thirdly, look at, look at what he says here in verse, um, verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. You know what he says? This God who confirmed the message, this God who has given you everything you need, is the same God who will take you the distance. He will preserve you. He will watch over you. He will protect you. He will enable you. He will get, on the darkest moment of your life, when you can't see and everything is black, God is there. Because that's what he does. He's the preserver God. He is going to take you. It's the same word that he uses when he talks about confirming. It's the same Greek word here. Same word. And we could just translate it. He's established you here. You came to faith. He will establish you so no matter what wind comes your way and hits you and not tries to knock you up. No, 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 no. He will take you the distance. And you will stand in his presence one day blameless. Blameless. Yeah. We're like Teflon pans. Nothing sticks, man. Nothing sticks. It's true. It's true. The enemy of our soul can fling anything at us. Finkbeiner, look at what he did. Look at what he thought. Look at what he said to his wife. Look at what he... Man, there's all kinds... How can you possibly say blameless? There's all kinds of stuff to... Blameless just means there's nothing to grab onto. There's all kinds of stuff to grab onto. But not when you're in Christ. That'll slide right off, man. And it's gone. And we will stand blameless in his sight. Because I held on as hard as I could. Nope. Because he preserves us. He established, he confirms. He makes sure that he takes us the distance. The God who not only changed who we are positionally, but I love this idea when he says, he's also the same God that called you into fellowship with his son. You know, it's not just some ethereal thing. Hey, I have a new position. You do. It's beautiful. But I have a new relationship. I've been brought into fellowship with the son. And because of that, this God will take us the distance. It's kind of an interesting way to start out a letter to a bunch of, to a bunch of people like the Corinthians, isn't it? It's good words for them. It's good words for us. Paul is an optimistic realist. I don't know how else to say it. 
where sin abounds in the church due to its worldliness, and Paul will not downplay it from here on out in the book. Boom, 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 boom. I get it. But when he does handle those things, he always handles them in light of the gospel. And that changes everything. So, where sin abounds in the church due to its worldliness, I love it, I love it. God's grace abounds more due to its union with Christ. You know what that means? It means if you're here today, you're saying, Doug, I, I come to church on Sunday, I smile. When, when someone says, how you doing? I say, good. But my life's a mess. I, I know Christ. But my, I, I've drifted. I can't find my way. And I want you to know there's hope for you. In Christ, there's hope for you. He has confirmed, brought you into a relationship with His Son, positionally changed you. He's given you everything you need. The problem is that you don't, He hasn't given it. The problem is we haven't received it. He's given you what you need. He will take you the distance so you'll stand blameless before His Son one day. So don't hide it. Don't play Christianity. Let the body of Christ help. You may be here today and you say, I, I, I'm, I'm not in this game at all. Then you got to start to be, you know what, I always think with this, I'm backwards here, and I should be doing this in reverse. I'm doing going from left to right for me, and I should be going left. Anyway, sorry about that, but it probably won't change now. You, you need to come into relationship with him. None of that stuff can be true unless you know Jesus. And folks, if you're seeking to walk with them, don't write anybody off in the church. It's easy to look at people and say, oh, and if, if this is your name, I'm not thinking of you. I'm just trying to find a name. Uh, I'm going to say Henry. Do you have any Henry? I'm not thinking of you when I say it. I'm just Henry came to my mind. But if, Doug, we'll use Doug, okay. When you think of somebody like Doug, whoever that Doug person might be, if your eyes roll and you say, like, there's no hope for that person. If they know Christ, that's not true. See, this gives me hope in my life, and it gives me hope for your life. And it's not about living out my potential. You can have everything you want. No. It means I believe in grace. And I mean believe grace changes everything. Changes me individually. Changes you individually. And it changes us as a group. Father, as we launch into this series, we pray your spirit would touch us where we need to be touched. Maybe nudged. Maybe pushed. You know, we leave it with you. What we ask is that you do your good work. Show us where we need hope. In our specific lives, in our corporate life, in the ministry of those that we can, whose lives we can touch. 
Help us to be people of hope because of your grace, Lord. May that change everything. And as we work through this series, Lord, we pray that again and again, you will point us back to the gospel of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.